This is Tempest Tossed, Conversations on Migration and Mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikoff. The machinery of immigration and administering the immigration system is shifting, and it's shifting in a way that follows through on this notion that immigration does us harm. That's a very dangerous direction. So we've all heard about the caravan, an estimated 7,000 people walking from Central America with the goal of getting to the United States. The group is mostly Honduran, but they've been joined by Salvadorans, Guatemalans, people from other countries as well. President Trump has forcefully injected the issue of the caravan into the midterms using rather incendiary language that the movement of these people is an attack on U.S. sovereignty, that they're terrorists in this group who've infiltrated it, that the Democrats want uh, open borders. Let's start with some of the facts here and be clear about them. First of all, there have been caravans before, groups of people moving to the United States before, and people tend to travel together because there is safety in numbers and they can avoid the use of smugglers if they uh, do so and others who prey uh, on migrants. Many of the people in this group are fleeing violence, and all are seeking a better life in the United States. Also, they're a thousand miles from the southwest border of the U.S., and they are walking. You can do the math on how long it will take them to reach the United States border. I think we also have to recognize and be honest about the fact that this group of people is not a threat to U.S. sovereignty. In previous caravans, the vast majority of the people who started out walking towards the U.S. fell away. Some stayed in Mexico, some some went home. And, and if you get to the U.S. border and, you, and present yourselves to U.S. officials, you will be put into the U.S. immigration system where those who are entitled to asylum can apply for asylum and those who are not uh, able to show they have a good asylum case uh, will be sent home. The, the United States clearly has the means to stop the few that will arrive at the border and to process the asylum cases they may make. It's worth pointing out that in the last fiscal year, the U.S. stopped more than 300,000 people at the U.S. borders. It's hard to think that 7,000 or far fewer unarmed migrants seeking political asylum in the United States pose much of a challenge to our border patrol to our nation. To discuss these issues with us today is Doris Meissner, who is a senior fellow and director of the U.S. Immigration Policy Program at the Migration Policy Institute in Washington. From 1993 to 2000, Doris Meissner was commissioner of the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Doris Meissner, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Doris, we've all seen the pictures of these uh, folks marching up uh, from Central America now into Mexico. What can you tell us about uh, who is in this group and, and how you think it was formed? Well, of course, the, you have to start with the fact that this is not the first group that has come in tandem. There have been what's now being called caravans before, and this seems to have started in a similar way. Is This particular one started in Honduras in a couple of uh, two, two or three places. Uh, 
in northern Honduras, as I understand it, of groups that were banding together, maybe 10, 15, 20 people, to come north, not necessarily to the United States, but to come north, some of them, to the United States. And they coalesced with similar size groups from two or three other communities. And somehow a local TV station picked up on it and ran a show that uh, said that groups were forming and were coming together and that there would be food and clothing available for the people. And it's a TV show that apparently is watched quite widely uh, around the country. And suddenly, what was expected to be, you know, perhaps less than 100 people, maybe even in the neighborhood of 50 or so, began to grow. And it grew very quickly and became the size group that it is now. The press picked up on it. Uh, the press has been following it intensively, and then, of course, it became well-known in the United States, and it's become part of our political discussion leading up to the midterms. So, the, you know, these are people that are not different from migrants in the past from these countries. It's a mixture of people that are looking for better opportunities. These are very poor countries, very poor regions, and regions that are, by and large, very dangerous for people to live in. And so they do look for opportunities to leave. Most of them have tried one way or another to make a go of things, and either their children are threatened or they're extorted as small business people, and they finally give up and look for other opportunities. Well, why do they travel in a big group? Well, they travel in groups because of safety. It's, first of all, very expensive to get to the United States because you, by and large, can't do it unless you have the help of smugglers. The smugglers are expensive. The smugglers also can put people into significant danger. People often will try to come in a group into through Guatemala into Mexico, and then somewhere along the way in Mexico, get as close to the border if they're trying to get to the U.S. as they can, uh, and then pay a smuggler just to get across the U.S.-Mexico border. So this is by and large a safety in numbers situation because of all the criminal activity and the way in which cartels and gangs control the territory in Central America as well as from Central America North. Well, it's really interesting to hear you say that because, of course, the claim from the administration is that rather than fleeing dangerous people, this, this group is made up of dangerous people, that there are unknown Middle Easterners and other terrorists lurking uh, in this group. What do we know about that? Well, from everything we know, that's been entirely discredited. The president was asked some follow-up questions. The administration was asked hard-hitting follow-up questions by the press in the last 24 hours or so. There's no evidence whatsoever of that. And, you know, the mere use of the term Middle Easterners and automatically equating that with terrorists is objectionable on its face. But the 
you know, deeper truth here is that this is very much a phenomenon of Central Americans. I think one uh, who are, you know, in, in, in danger and, and are looking for better opportunities. That does not mean by any means that they're all eligible for asylum in the United States, but that's a separate issue we can get to. I think that the one other element in this current caravan that perhaps hasn't been as evident in the earlier ones is that there do seem to be a sizable number of people that were recently deported from the United States who are trying to get back to the United States. And that, of course, has to do also with current policies in this country that have changed under the current administration, where many more people who have lived in the United States for a long time have been returned to their countries and people that have except for violating the immigration laws, been uh, law-abiding. Their families, their children, their work is here. There is nothing for them in the country that they've gone back to because they haven't lived in those countries for often as much as decades. There do seem to be a number of return returnees in, in this caravan, and they, of course, will have a very difficult time getting back into the country, and it's very risky for them to try to do so. Yeah, the, 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 these folks are planning on, if the caravan sticks together, they're going to walk about a thousand miles uh, through all the way from one end of Mexico uh, to the other. What are they facing in Mexico? What's the position of the Mexican government be, been? And what other what are the other things that are going on there? Well, the Mexican government, certainly this is a quandary for the Mexican government. First of all, it's just at the handoff point between the uh, current administration in Mexico and the new administration coming in with the new president takes office on December 1st. So we don't know entirely what to expect of Mexican policy in the future, but it does seem as if for the first time the Mexican government has been open to some greater assistance from international organizations, especially uh, uh, UNHCR, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, and is recognizing that Mexico must play a role. They are processing people for asylum in and taking asylum applications in much greater numbers than have been the case before. Uh, this last weekend, as far as is being reported, they accepted a thousand asylum applications. That's, I think, more than they adjudicated all of last year. So they have also at the official crossing points between Guatemala and Mexico. They have registered people as they're coming in. They, of course, don't have the capacity with the numbers that have showed up, but they are running a metered system of coming into Mexico, actually similar to what it is that the U.S. has used with the prior caravan that came in April and May at our own U.S.-Mexico border. So, Mexico is in a situation of being betwixt and between uh, dealing with this as a responsibility that they have, but at the same time also giving some people permits, which traditionally is what they had done, to transit Mexico 
usually that's been a 20-day period they've allowed in order to get to the United States. But they have recognized, and it is the case with this caravan, that many of the people in the caravan are not necessarily intending to come to the United States. They are simply intending to get out of what they view as an impossible situation and find some place to be that is safe and gives them some chance of making a life. For many of them, that is actually Mexico. So for the, the, the numbers who are applying for asylum uh, in Mexico, and I guess now with the help of the UN the High Commissioner for Refugees uh, office, will they wait around for a decision from the Mexican government? Is Mexico likely to grant uh, people in these circumstances asylum, or is that just a way to kind of get a lawful status in Mexico and then continue on to the U.S.? Well, it's hard to say. I think at, that we have to assume at this point that they are genuinely ready to wait in Mexico for their decision. Mexico is adding staff every day to help process these asylum claims. Some of these people are being held in detention. Others of them are being released. But there is now a little bit of history developing that people will stay in Mexico and will wait for their claims to be decided. You know, we'll have to see. This is all evolving. But from the caravan in in uh, April and May, there are a number from that caravan that did stay in Mexico, did file for asylum there, and did not proceed northward. So, as I say, we, we just have to see what kinds of patterns are actually emerging. It, it is well known that it is very difficult to get into the United States and that the journey through Mexico is long, arduous, and can be dangerous and ultimately can be very expensive. You mentioned that Mexico can give people a pass that gives them 20 days to get actually through Mexico and, I guess, to the U.S. border. I assume that U.S. authorities are unhappy about that, that they would like Mexico to pick people up and, and send them home rather than send them on to the U.S. Do you, has there been discussions between the U.S. and, and Mexico about this? And, and why, why would Mexico give someone a pass that lets them walk the entire length of the country to get to the U.S.? Well, they've given these transit permits in the past because it really just allows them to look the other way and because these migrants historically have been wanting to get to the U.S. They're not interested in being in Mexico. This is, of course, changing given the difficulties in the U.S. and the cost and so forth. So, there, this, this transit visa approach is one that other countries have used as well as a way of dealing with populations that don't want to be in their country but that are passing through. It has been roundly and soundly criticized by the United States, it, it, in particularly in the, in the current period, and it is, it, it is definitely the case that if we look longer term, Mexico does need to ultimately become a, a, you know, a country that has an asylum system that is able to you know, deal with uh, obligations and responsibilities of being part of the international community, and, but it's no, by no means there yet. And that is something that the UNHCR has been pressing very 
very intensively in this hemisphere. It's been talking to Mexico and it's been talking to other countries in the hemisphere for quite a few years about changes that are taking place that are making this hemisphere not different from other parts of the world that do have asylum systems and traditions of granting protection and allowing first asylum, uh, safe third countries, and so on. If we look down the road, we should be working with Mexico, and Mexico should ultimately be able to be a safe third country from the standpoint of asylum seekers from south of it. You, you say ultimately, but are you saying now that the, the best solution would be to that these people stay in Mexico and, and not get to the U.S. border, and this really can be handled all by Mexico? No, it can't all be handled by Mexico. I think uh, that it would be, it's really disingenuous for the United States to say officially that these are people that should be in Mexico, should stay in Mexico, and if they get to the United States, they will be rejected because they could have applied for asylum in Mexico. I'm not at all suggesting that that's what the U.S. will say when ultimately some of the people get here, but the president and others have suggested that that is what they might say. But it is also true that over time, we have an issue in our hemisphere that is not just a, a, you know, a one-off issue. This kind of need and these kinds of circumstances that have led to this caravan are with us, and we'll need to be addressing them in a much more comprehensive way than we are now. So President Trump has made some very strong statements about that these folks are, are not getting in. They're not going to attack our sovereignty, breach our sovereignty. And suppose the administration would adopt a position uh, that, uh, yeah, you can get to the border, and if you want to apply for asylum, uh, take a number. We'll call you in a few months and, and let you come up and, and see if you qualify for asylum. But meanwhile, uh, you wait in Mexico. What would you think of that policy? Well, I think there is a possibility that there might be some attempt to do that. Uh, there, uh, certainly with the with the last caravan, there was the there were the beginnings of that. Uh, you you can actually say that de facto this system of metered they're calling it the, the metered admission, uh, which is to say. Well, just as you've described it, you wait on the other side until your number comes up and then you get a chance to come and present your claim that de facto that is going on uh, now uh, in that the administration has said that people who are looking for asylum must present themselves at ports of entry. They will, if they come across between ports of entry illegally, that's a violation of law and they won't have any access to the asylum system. However, when people do present themselves at ports of entry, it's highly unpredictable whether they'll be permitted. And it's also been now quite well documented that particular ports of entry might be open on any one day of the week and be taking claims and the very next day not be taking claims because they say they don't have the capacity or some other thing has come along and then people are advised to go to the next port of entry, which could be, you know, 60 or 80 miles away uh, without a direct road in between. So the, the possibility of trying to push people or 
or or jam people up in the country from which they're coming into the United States in in its own way at a sort of a more level of smaller numbers is already taking place and it's we'll have to see how I mean, it's difficult to know how the administration is actually going to approach this one and, and whether it'll try that that tactic. Might not that actually be an incentive to illegal immigration if someone's waiting or been pushed back? Uh, they may simply try to come in uh, between ports of entry, right? Well, that's a very good point, and that is what one of the major criticisms is, and there is uh, from the NGO reporting that we see and from what we hear from some of the lawyers involved in this, exactly what has been happening in some cases. So what the advocates are saying, some of the advocates are saying is, look, this is a small number. 400,000 people rested at the border last year. Um, we have pretty good border patrol at this point. If 7,000 people enter now, it's not a crisis. They can come in, file their asylum claims, let the system proceed as normal, uh, and work their cases through. And if they get asylum, they get asylum. And if they're not entitled to be here, uh, then we remove them. Is that, is that a sensible policy from your perspective? Well, I think that keeping the numbers in perspective here is extremely important. I mean, 7,000 in a caravan is a large number, but the 7,000 are not all interested in coming to the United States. And even if they're interested in coming to the United States, they're not all going to get here because of various things that will happen along the way where they will drop off. With the caravan that came in April and May, it was a much smaller number. It was about 1,500, but about uh, about a third, you know, about anywhere between 250 and 500 out of 1,500 actually got to the United States. And in that particular circumstance, what happened may also happen this time around, and that is that there were lots of lawyers along the way and other uh, other interested parties that really counseled with the migrants and made sure that they recognized the difficulties of getting into the United States and the difficulties actually of gaining asylum in the United States. So there was a kind of an informal triage system that developed within Mexico so that some people who probably who did seem to have strong cases were encouraged to go forward, but others were very strongly discouraged. That could still develop with this caravan as well. But if you then t- assume that a certain number want to get to the United States, will get to the United States, but that it will be considerably smaller than 7,000, you then have to recognize what you've said, that at the end of the day, even though that may be a large number for them if they a large number if they all arrived in one particular day it's by no means an emergency situation or and it certainly isn't a national security crisis of any kind because we do have a very robust system in the United States we can handle asylum claims the difficulty of course is that our system isn't working in a timely fashion in the way that it should we've put a lot of resources into border enforcement border patrol and all of the infrastructure that goes with an enforcement model that really was designed for a Mexican flow, which has now abated. And we're facing this newer, more humanitarian 
oriented flow, which does have asylum seekers that legitimately should be granted asylum in it, and we don't have the kinds of resource investments in the asylum decision system that are commensurate with the way in which that flow has shifted. But we can do that, and we should be doing it. And in that way, there's a built-in, you know, kind of self-correcting that takes place because if you can decide those cases in a timely way, it means that those who are eligible for protection can get on with their lives and be safe in the United States, and those who aren't can be returned to their countries, and we should then, of course, be working much more broadly to be attacking the conditions in those countries that lead to these movements. Yeah, I mean, right. You're obviously right to talk about the, the backlogs in the system. We know that there are about 300,000 pending asylum cases in the system. They may take years to to get to. So we're not in the world now where we have an efficient system. And I wonder why that doesn't uh, support uh, folks who say, basically, if you let these people get to the border and come in and file for asylum, you are uh, perpetuating the so-called catch and release policy, a phrase I don't much like, but the people would come in, ask for asylum, uh, be released from detention, disappear, and it'll take two or three years to, to adjudicate their case. And that really does become an invitation to come unlawfully to the country without uh, papers and file for asylum. Is there some truth to that? I think there is some truth to that, and I, I think that it is a situation that we find ourselves in uh, in the United States that does make us vulnerable to uh, the, the system being misused. But at the same time, we have the capability of working ourselves out of that if this becomes a priority. It should be much more of a priority. Maybe one of the positive things that could come out of a caravan like this is that it really focuses people's attention on what it is that's needed. I just think that you do not want to, even in the short term, even if that is the case, you should not be sacrificing uh, the 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 principle uh, that some of these people are most likely eligible for asylum, and we as a country need to protect that tradition. So, if I'm putting all together together every uh, what you've been saying here over the last few minutes, um, it would include. I mean, if we had a comprehensive program, it would look something like this: a, a regional approach uh, with countries of the region, a uh, a beefed-up uh, Mexican asylum system that can handle claims and grant them fairly, and for those that end up um, coming to the United States, then a, a fixed asylum system in the U.S. that can handle cases, quickly grant those that need granting, and return people who otherwise don't qualify uh, through a fair asylum system. How, how far away are we from that system that you're painting? And if so, what what would you do if you were once again running the immigration service uh, in the next uh, month or two? Well, I do, I do think that that is the broad vision for where we need to be and where we need to be going. I think that one of the most important things that one could hope for, which we're not going to see in the near term, is <clears throat> political leadership, and a public debate that recognizes that this is a much longer-term proposition and that pieces of this kind of a solution are going to proceed at different pace, you know, at different uh, uh, level, well, different paces, uh, but that we have to really be 
committing to the longer term to get solutions here. And then, you know, I think that with the people that are coming now and with what's happening now, we really need to be very engaged with Mexico and very much uh, involved with helping them build their capacity. But we've also got to tackle our own asylum system problems here. Um, you and I have done some work on that recently. There are things that the executive branch can do. They could deal with these cases, for instance, that are coming in right now as uh, a special putting them at the head of the line, they could um, uh, dispatch, they could set up uh, immigration courts that are devoted to border cases. You don't want to rush people through and create, you know, kangaroo, uh, you know, rubber stamp kangaroo court kinds of circumstances, but you could put much better timeliness into this now um, by shifting resources. You would not need legislation in order to do so. I think it is important to send a message. I think it, 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 this is not the kind of movement uh, way of moving into the country or uh, caravans like this are, 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 are fraught with difficulty. And so we would, we have an interest as a country in sending strong signals that this is not the way in which migration should be proceeding. But all of those things require a real sober attitude about this and a real effort to recognize that there are important principles here that need to be protected, but at the same time, these are problems that we can address and that we should be getting on with doing as compared to inflaming public passions around them. Well, let me let me end with that, uh, picking up on the very last thing you, uh, you said here, that the rhetoric has really been extreme from the president. It's been uh, proven to be uh, inaccurate. It's needlessly in, inflamed uh, uh, concerns among Americans, not really telling the story, the fact that the people are a thousand miles away walking, walking by foot here to, uh, to get to the U.S., so they're really a long way away. I want you to put that into the broader context of the Trump administration's uh, approach to migration and the use of the migration uh, issue in the election, but also since he's taken office. How, how do you fit this into the overall story, and, and what's your judgment about that? Well, we've, you know, this president and his focus on immigration is a sea change from what we've experienced in this country for decades from both of our political parties. I mean, whatever disagreements we have as a country about immigration, whatever disagreements we have politically between our major parties, Republicans and Democrats, about immigration policy, there has nonetheless been a broadly accepted consensus at the top of our political structure <clears throat> and widely shared publicly that immigration is overall a net positive for the country. That is not what this president believes and that is not what we are currently uh, confronting. This president took 
the issue of immigration. He believes that it's the issue that ultimately won him his the election, that, that, that he believes it's the issue that won this election for him. And so we're seeing a reprise of that in this midterm election that, um, and, and, and his whole approach is that immigration is a threat to the country. Not that it's an advantage, but that it's a threat. And it's for him a threat to our security. And it's a threat to our jobs and to our workers. And he has turned the, the, the powers and authorities of his administration into following up on that viewpoint. There are certainly areas where he's been stopped by the courts and stopped by public opinion, for instance, on the separation of families. But ultimately, in many, many more technical, smaller, obscure kinds of ways, the machinery of immigration and administering the immigration system is shifting. And it's shifting in a way that follows through on this notion that immigration does us harm. So that's a real serious departure and a very, in my opinion, dangerous direction that we're heading, and the only thing that's going to address that in any way in the near term is elections. Yeah. Doris, thank you so much for being uh, with us today. Really interesting, lots of new information, what you have uh, uh, told us in a very uh, sober and sound uh, analysis of these issues. Thanks. Thank you. You have been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Technical assistance is provided by Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112. Our themes were composed by Eli Elenikov. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. You can reach us at tossedtempest at gmail.com. That is tossedtempest, all one word, at gmail.com.